Hello and welcome to another edition of the Third Ship Football Podcast. This time we take a look at the USFL Championship game, take a peek up north at our friends in the CFL, and definitely don't freak out about a college football and how it's all coming to an end and all my favorite schools will be left out. No, God, it's all happening. We're going to hell. Hello, everybody. How are you doing today? I hope you had a great holiday weekend. This is the Third Shift Football Podcast. I'm Josh Atkins with Neil Tarver. Neil, how are we doing on this fine Tuesday evening? I'm doing good. My 4th of July was very low-key. Um, and yeah, other than you know college football and the jazz, for that reason, just slowly immolating themselves for the sake of the almighty dollar, I'm doing great. Yeah, it's not been good for our favorite team. So um, a lot to unpack uh, from the USFL championship game, which, by the way, first thought of that game, Neil, real quick. The crowd was, was a great awesome. game. And the crowd was there. Love to see a, nearly a sellout crowd because they had tarps in the end zones. Um, and then, yes, college football is forever changed again 10 years later. Well, 12. And uh, the CFL corner. So we got a lot to unpack today. So let's get right to it, Neil. Um, wow, what a game. USFL, I thought, had a great – had a good season, and then they had a great championship game. Absolute banger on Sunday night. And apologies oh. that we didn't get this out earlier. I didn't get home till late on Monday night, and I needed my sleep after being in the sun all day because – Oh, yeah, what a hard weekend you had lounging at the scenic vista that is that river with your fiancé. Oh, I, my, my, soul, my soul weeps for you. Hey, I was in Canada. I don't want to hear it. I was in Canada. Well, the water, but yeah. You were you were steeping yourself for the CFL court. I was. You just, like, <laughs> I was doing scouting. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I thought... Wait, when you went on that side... When you went on that side, were you like, maybe it should have 12 men and three downs? It did. It creeped in my mm. mind. Oh, yeah. Anyway, now, what I would have loved the scene is like some CFL team flags. That I did not see. That would have been cool. A lot of, lot of Canadian flags. Very patriotic as Neil throws a pin trying to hit me across the laptop. Um, but to the USFL game, like I said, they had a really good season, and I thought the championship game was outstanding for a Sunday night. I don't know the final numbers of ratings, but, I mean, they had a sellout crowd, as I mentioned earlier, which is great, absolute greatness at Cannes, where the Pro Football Hall of Fame is. And the game, like, I got to watch the first half. I rewatched the second half. We were watching fireworks, but, wow, what a game. What it was like it just it was a great game. It had everything you wanted. It had drama. It had uh, it had drama. It had big swings in the early. It looked like Birmingham's gonna rave, but then Philadelphia made a huge comeback, and then the and then Birmingham took out for the last in. There's lots of exciting big plays. Like there was just a lot of stuff going on. Um, it got pretty good viewership. One point two five million viewers. Thank um, you. According to something I have found. I'm not sure how accurate it is, but we're going to roll with that. I'll look it up. Seven o'clock time slot. Oh uh, yeah. 1.25 million viewers. And yeah, it was just a really fun game. Um, I thought it was a great way to end the season. Honestly, the best way they could. And it's a shame how a little bit of it went down, but we'll get to that. So let's start in the first quarter. Um, I got in a little late because of dinner. 
Um, but I thought Birmingham Birmingham had a fantastic start, which they haven't really done a lot this season. Felt like they got to a nice, comfortable lead, and Philly was right there. But then just costly mistakes, I felt like, from Philly didn't help them capitalize on Birmingham's slower second quarter. And that's why we got a 13-10 to 10 halftime lead for Birmingham. But I thought Birmingham really dominated the line of scrimmage that first half. Oh, yeah, they killed it. And uh, Bo Scarborough had a huge first half. I think at one point he had three carry or four carries for 134 yards. They were getting eaten up in the run game. I mean, and they had, one of the big things I found, and I think I noted this down, is Philly was having a hard time containing the backside of runs. They would overcommit to the side where the play was going, and Scarborough was able to bounce it outside and then just torch him. He did it for the like the 30-yard touchdown and then like 70-yard run he had. And like yeah, that 70 quarter. yard one that that hurts so bad. So many missed tackles. It helped Birmingham set great field position, which they later scored on, but only 13 carries and he had 135. That's incredible. Yeah, it's it got away from him in the second half. And I think that's part of why they struggled in the second half. For some reason, they got away from the run game. And when the run game is that brutally effective as it was in the first half, at least when they're running out of the same fucking play, this out of the same formation, three fucking times in a row in the red zone. No shit. It's not working. <laughs> when they weren't doing that, they were, they were gashing them on the ground. Then that opened up the air game and it let them kind of move the ball at will in the first half. But they just got away from it. And that honestly, it looked for a while there that was going to cost them the game. But on the other hand, on the other end, uh, Philly looked they looked out of control to start this game. They looked rough. They looked way too caught up in the moment. And they're very lucky that Birmingham squandered that last possession going into oh, halftime. Yeah. Otherwise, this game may have never even been close. No. It was on the verge of that. But thankfully, if you're a Philly fan, they kept it close, which is all you can ask for from a team that arguably should have been undefeated all year, and they arguably could have been 5-5. Five and five. I mean, yeah. that's, that was Birmingham the whole year. They fired with danger the whole season up until the last game and still pulled it out. But, man, what a second half, though. My God, offensive fireworks. Mm. Yeah, so one of the key things that happened early in the second half is Jamar Smith started cramping, Yeah, and that took him out of the game for the rest of the game. I don't know what was going on. It may have been more severe than Grant, but that took him out. And then Birmingham kind of got away from themselves. They Magoo was not as effective when he came in. They were throwing the ball more. And really, <clears throat> Bur- uh, Philly's defense is doing a good job of forcing them into like bad passing downs and sticking with guys. And honestly, they should have had a couple more picks than they did. They had some gifts thrown their way that they just couldn't capitalize on, which ultimately cost them the game more or less. But yeah, the Philly Philly came out strong in the second half, and holy shit, Case Cookus, Case oh. Cookus went fucking off to start the second half. That touchdown mm. they scored to get it to twenty to fifteen. Oh, oh, oh my! And he was oh having good throws in the first half too. I felt like some of his, that that touchdown he threw. That's an NFL throw. I don't oh, care yeah. what you say. Whenever we watch college quarterbacks, right, and we're evaluating them, like Bryce Young, CJ Shire, we're going to evaluate them a lot. Or even when we were in college and we saw Jared Goff and Mariota, they would make those kind of throws. It's like, there's nothing you can do. That's an NFL-level throw 
that no defense can stop. And that's what he did most of the night. Mm-hmm. He did it the entire second half. I mean, for sorry, not the the entire time he was in the second half, unfortunately. Right. That that uh touch that second touchdown in the second half where they just they uh, hit that guy up the seam, just perfect ball, perfect place, and right in the end zone. They were carving up Birmingham's defense. Birmingham's defense looked worn out. They were getting undisciplined as hell. They kept committing stupid penalties, getting them off the field. They were getting frustrated and tired. And Philly had them on the ropes. And I think a lot of that is Case Cookus. Now they did have some other guys step up. I thought uh, Roland had a great game, uh, and the what kind of had us a scat back role where he had him run sometimes, had him in the, that as a receiver, like he did a good job. And then the other running back, whose name is escaping me right now, who filled in for Matthew Colburn, did a great job. I mean, I think they had some, got some great performances in the second half, but unfortunately, it all went up in flames the second Cookus went out. Yeah, that hurt. That hurt that- real bad because it was it, – it just – you could feel – I know I'm a – Momentum is something you can't quantify and arguably isn't real, but you can kind of feel it. Right. And the momentum in that game, Birmingham was on their heels. They were going down. They just threw a pick. Uh, Magoo had just thrown a pick that bounced off of Marable's hands when he tried to like hit behind him. He tried to force him in there, threw a pick. They had the ball. They were driving. Like It looked like it was it. Then Cookus goes down. And then they have to punt. And then Birmingham, but I'll give credit to Skip Holtz. Skip Holtz did a great job of uh, chilling Magoo the fuck out on the sideline because he was having a fucking moment over there. Oh, yeah. Like he was, but Skip Holtz did a great, and they got a great sequence, and they scored. And at that point, you could just almost watch the soul leave Philly's body because their leader, Grace Cookis, left, and then they just got, they couldn't capitalize on that turnover, and then they gave up the lead, and you could almost feel it was over. And then KJ Costello more or less made it over. Yeah, the pick six did not help their cause. I don't even know what the fuck he was looking at. Like, just, uh, well, I know what he was looking at. He just airmailed that underneath, that uh, crossing route underneath. Like, he just airmailed it right to Scooby, right? And yeah, house call. And I'll give credit to KJ Costello. He led a really nice drive to get them within three. They almost got that fourth down. Um, it bounced up, and that receiver almost had it. But in the end, they didn't. And then he threw that final game ceiling pick on the prayer, which why the fuck are you throwing that KJ? All you have to do is get in the field goal range. Right. It it's unfortunate. I feel like if Case could have survived, well, not survived, but played the whole game, the game might have been different, but we'll never know. Oh, I absolutely believe that. I believe that if Case Cook stays in. Philly might even win by 10 points. Like Sheesh, that's bold. they had their they had their foot on the throat, man. Like they were ready to go. That's I mean, why that's why when you try to win a championship, depth is so important. I mean, the yeah. Eagles, the Eagles of 2017 are a classic case, right? Carson Wentz had an MVP year. Nick Foles trots out there. Their team is great, but then they catered a whole offense around the grand. They had weeks to prepare Nick Foles for a Super Bowl run, but it's just you got to have the right guys ready to step up, even at quarterback, the one position you don't want to f- have that issue. I mean, you have to feel for Philly because, I mean, Case Cookus was the backup. He's the Nick Foles in this scenario. I mean, Costello yeah. is the number three. Like, it's just the slow erosion of that finally got to them. And then give credit to Magoo. He was a little squirrely, but he was nails when they needed him to be at the end of the game. So Right. 
But hey, Birmingham, the quote unquote inaugural USFL champion. Yeah. And uh, also, and I'd argue more importantly, your inaugural USFL picks champion is sitting on this end of the computer screen. Yeah, all the way in Thank Kansas you. City, where Thank it's you. like 200 degrees outside while Thank it's you. 70 here. Shut up. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Hey, uh, yeah, you've been good on picks. I'll say you, you've you been pretty good on your picks. I got the Super Bowl right this year, too. I'm on a hot one, man. Just let me choose the Grey Cup and let's go. <laughs> you need to start putting some money down. That's what you need to do. Put like five bucks on each team and let's let it ride. Yeah. As Russell Wilson says, let's ride. Oh, oh God. He's worst so cringy. Pro- He's is, so cringy. Is that the worst promo of all time, real quick? It's like, up there. <laughs> oh, my God. Russ is, Russ is an awkward bastard. I don't know why, but every time they let Russ talk, you're just like, wow, you are the most, like, for a quarterback, you are the most nerdy. Awkward and then he would go, go Hawks at the end of every interview. And I'm like, yeah. bruh. It's just, I love Russ. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's a genuinely nice guy, but. He's just not a hype man. <laughs> it was so obvious in that promo too. He's kind of like Drake to me, where it's like <laughs> you can try and be hard, Drake. I don't fucking believe you. Did you believe me when I was the hype guy? You're a different kind of hype guy, though. I was. You're, an, you're a bundle of energy. Like I believe that Russell Wilson. <laughs> Russ is like Russ is the quiet kid at the back. They randomly make do stuff. And it just doesn't pan out. He's trying to do what he thinks should be done, but he just doesn't have that like raw, raw energy, which for the record is fine. As someone who does not have the raw, raw energy, I respect that shit. I just don't get why he keeps trying. Um, So backstory about what I was mentioning earlier about me. So when we were in band at the University of Utah, um, I started this weird thing that apparently is still a tradition. Oh, is it? Good, good on you. It was when I went to alumni band 2019 before, okay. you know, COVID shut everything down. So this, what, what would that have been? 2015? Something like that. Um, I said, uh, like, at the end of our rehearsal on game days, they'd be like, does anybody else have any question or anything? And it was the Michigan game. It was Harbaugh's first game back in college. And it was in Salt Lake. And I said, I just yelled, let's get a win. And everybody celebrated and cheered. Well, every time I did it, we won. We won a lot of games that year. <laughs> ten Until games? Was it ten or nine? It was like eight or nine. No it, no, it was. It was like eight or nine. It was not ten. Did we go eight and four that two. year? And then it was nine and four after kicked the shit out of BYU and took our foot off the gas the second half? Yeah, that's the Utah tradition. Is Our greatest rival is not BYU. It's the month of November. Not no more. That shit's gone. So I think that's a good segue, Neil. If you're good with USFL, great season again. Yeah, great um, season, great championship game. And like, if you want to go out, that's how you go out on top with a great game like that. Yeah, and, and he uh, will be I, back for a second season. They are let's back. Hope Case Cookus gets better, by the way, because he was probably going to get some camp invites off of that game. Let's hope the injury wasn't too serious. I right. haven't looked into it. We probably should. Spring training's in three weeks, less than three weeks for the NFL. So, um, but since we we're kind of talking college, let's uh, shift gears a little bit. Um, <laughs> Originally, Why? we did this podcast we've mentioned before. We were wanting to do Pac-12 coverage, and uh, that probably will never happen. We weren't no. planning to do it this year just because of our work our work and home lives, but 
So if you live under a rock, USC and UCLA, the two LA market teams, are going to the Big Ten in 2024, which now the Pac-12 is like, oh, shit. We just lost the second biggest TV market in America. Um, and now, reportedly, according to CBS, six Pac-12 teams, so Utah, Colorado, both Arizona schools, Washington, and Oregon all talked to the Big 12. Where the Pac-12 goes, we're going to renegotiate media rights deals. So, Neil, what do you think all this means for the NFL? Like, when it comes to players going to the next level. It, it means the exact same thing. I mean, let, let's be honest with ourselves. All of the players are coming out of those schools anyway. You're going to have your outlier guys. You go to, like, Central Michigan or Tulane or any of those other schools and make it through, but it's just probably going to make the rich get richer in college football. And I don't think it'll impact the NFL product at all. It might make him a little more NFL ready, especially if like this, basically what I'm going to call NFL junior happens, where it's going to be the sec and the big 10 duking it out every year. I think it's going to one up it. The NFL. I think it's going to one up it from a perspective of it's going to be like European football. We're eventually going to have like a Premier League and a Champions League. No, that's it. It's eventually going to get to that point. Maybe it'll be the minor leagues at that, but it's not going to be like League One and League Two where you're sending guys up and down. No, no, I'm serious. Like, there's going to be teams. There's going to be a Super Conference that's going to be like Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, etc. Right? Mm-hmm. Going to be like twenty of those teams, and the rest are going to be in the Southern League. And then they'll go to that league when another when one of those teams suck. I think in 20 years that might have hell, it could happen Ugh. in 10 at this I, damn rate. At this rate, it's gonna be in 10 years, it's going to be the Big Ten in the SEC. And then a bunch of also reds. Basically, it's gonna be those two. They're probably gonna leave the NCAA and college football is you know, it's gone. And I don't college I athletics wanna, is gone. I know you want me to talk about it as it packs the NFL. Frankly, I don't give a shit. The NFL is going to be fine. They're going to get their talent regardless. Like, it's just, that's going to happen. Unless college football completely folds, in which case then we have to have a separate discussion. But with the way it's heading now, it's just, it's going to destroy what made college football special and unique and the kind of the quirks it had. Like, if it's just a bunch of super conferences, you know what I don't really care about, admittedly? I don't give a shit about USC playing Iowa in fucking November. Or Rutgers. Or Rutgers, or actually fucking anybody other than Ohio State and Michigan, and frankly, I'm not sure I care about that Michigan game that much either. No. And it just, it takes away that the regional quirks. Like, yeah, Oregon State doesn't make a ton of money, sure. But every year, some random team would blunder into Corvallis and get their face ripped off. I want to say this. And you make Oregon what, State. It takes. You, you make a case about Oregon State, right? You can say the same thing about Indiana. You can say the same thing about Vanderbilt in the SEC. You can say the same thing about your beloved Kansas in the Big Twelve. You can and... say the same thing about Syracuse <laughs> in the ACC, right? I mean, Only Texas blunders into Kansas. Well, it's just it's just such a disaster. As as you and I have lived the, the not so much the glory years of college football, but the tail end of it before this shit happened. I, I love college football more than the NFL from a from a love perspective because I am attached to a school. I, I have a degree from the University of Utah. I was a part of the bands there that has a direct tie to a lot of their athletics. Like, I know I've had class with 
Jordan Loverage. I've had class with guys that are in the NFL. Jordan Loverage is one guy who saw Tom ahead. I've met Kyle Kuzma before. I've been near Jakob Pertl, who's in the NBA. I, I can just name a bunch of people from both the NBA and NFL that I've had encounters with, right? Mm-hmm. And then you make so many great memories in college that you typically don't make in the NFL. It's just not quite the same. The NFL is a business. I, I, I understand college football is totally a business, but there's just a soaring aurora about it. That's so unique and different that if you never, like, for example, I'm going to Louisville, Kentucky for a wedding in September. I might stop at an Ohio State um, Toledo game on my way back to New York just so I can go experience a game at the Horseshoe. Just just because. I I agree. It's just this, the problem with me of this is, is it's going to become the NFL junior. And I mean that derisively. It's going to be the, Look, I like the NFL more than college because I, I grew up in a non-college football town. Like, KU had its moments when I was growing up, but they're not a traditional Well, I grew up in an NFL school. town, too, but it's just different. I know. Let me finish. But I, the NFL will be my first love. But I love college because it's different. I love the regionality. I love the weird matchup between Vanderbilt and Tennessee with – like a hundred years of history between them and we blab blood or occasionally when a powerhouse goes to play Tulane, there's just this weird quirky game where you don't know what's going on. And like old miss running the triple or Southern miss running the triple option or Navy. I like the variety. I like the quirkiness. I like the specialness of college football and that the regionality can somewhat lend it, but by taking it more and more national and just having it be more and more of these giant brands, you wash away what makes it unique and you just make it a pale imitation of the NFL. And ultimately I think that's bad for college football because you'll never be as good as the NFL. Even the best, even Alabama, all 53 of the men at their roster aren't making the NFL. They aren't even all of their starters aren't making the fucking NFL. Nope. And so if you're basically going to this big national brand where 20 or 30 teams play each other every week and we decide a champion, why? I have that. I have the much superior version of that with better athletes and the best of the best. What Absolutely. was unique about college football was the rawness, the quirkiness, this, this, the basically the kind of unrefined element of it and all those regional little regional rivalries that may not matter at a national level, but mattered like hell to some people. And that's what made them fun and unique and brought the good crowds. And if you bring it national, you're just going to be a lesser NFL and it's going to kill you. Well, you got to think about the former players, the former coaches, alumni. That's what makes the rivalry special. You have a little bit, little of that in the NFL, but do you really? Like the only one you can really name is like the Bears and Packers. And it's just division games, right? You got the Chiefs with all their teams, right? All the original AFC teams. You got Chiefs, the Bills, Raiders, yeah. Bills, Pats. You had the Colts, Pats back with Tom and Peyton. Like, mm-hmm. You have some of those, but it's nothing compared to Bama Auburn. It's nothing compared to Indiana Purdue, Ohio State, Michigan, Utah, BYU, UCLA, USC. I could continue all day. It Georgia, Florida. Yeah. Clemson, South Carolina. Like there's just so many great rivalries. Georgia for, Tech, Georgia. Wait. Uh, that's another great one. It, it's just people. I understand if you want these super conferences. But take a step back and really look at what is wrong with it. Well, the, the thing is, I don't think the fans want super conferences. I know some of the teams who are in it are talking big shit because, you know, they can. But 
Fans don't want this. Who wants it is Disney. Who wants it is Fox. And Fox. That's who want this. They want to have this bit. It college football turned into a real money maker in the two in the nineties and two thousands. Like it makes fucking bank. And so that money's driving everything. And I get it. It's business. I can understand that allure, but it just feels wrong to strip away everything that's special about it in the pursuit of more and more media sharing revenue. Because yeah. it'll be a better product. In theory, it'll be a better day-to-day product. Because yeah, you won't occasionally you won't have those games where it's Ohio State or not Ohio State, um, Oregon State versus Vanderbilt on a random Saturday at 3 p.m. And it's a ter- it's honestly a terrible game which I love, but it is what it is. So you're going to cut that out. You're going to cut some of the faff out, but I'd argue the faff is what makes the schedule. If every game is this big matchup, then no game's a big matchup. Exactly. And to piggyback what you said from my question, it makes no impact in the NFL. I just I think we need to address that with people that this does not impact the NFL. But let's move to our friends up north where they are enjoying great football unless you're a Hamilton fan. <laughs> they, which is this guy they are there i am riding this horse till it dies and it's on its last leg and i'm trying to get him like new it's legs. an 18 game season maybe they'll figure out their oh and three is bad start nail oh oh and four. Oh, <laughs> fuck oh and four yeah. <laughs> let's try that again fuck what i'm i'm look i put bionic legs on the damn horse at this rate Oh, it's it's a look. They're in. The, fortunately for them, they're in the east, which is not looking great right now. So they'll be. They might be fine. Thank God. Yeah. Anyway, let's go to Neil CFL corner. Yeah. So uh, it was a fun candidate weekend in the CFL. But before we get on that, I would like to cover something you asked me last week, which is a little information about the CFL salary cap and their roster rules. Oh yes, um, I was I was very intrigued by this. So there is going to be a new CBA kicking in next year, which I hadn't dug into that much. I just kind of pulled up this year's figures as best as I could get. Um, the salary cap in the CFL is 5.35 million this year, um, which I think is going up next year. Uh, the minimum player salary, I best I could find is between 60 and 70,000 Canadian dollars. Uh, with that 5.35 million, you have to assemble a team of 46 men, 45 dressed for games and one reserve player. Of that roster, there needs to be at minimum 21 Canadian nationals, a minimum of two global players, players, a maximum of 20 Americans, and two QBs on your roster at any time. For your starting lineups for each game, there are also set rules. You must have a minimum of seven Canadian nationals playing in a game. There's a maximum of 16 Americans. At least seven Canadians play. Europe, there's a max you can play one quarterback, which I think might be exempt. I couldn't find go that deep into it, unfortunately. But you one quarterback, you're allowed a maximum of 16 American players, and then you are required to play at least seven Canadian nationals starting. Sheesh. Yeah, I mean it's a good way to get yeah, get Canadians in the game. It's Canadian football, incentivize them being there, incentivize teams from finding that talent rather than just poaching has-beens from college teams. Right, <clears throat> Kadeem Gary. Um, <laughs> that was that was mean. I like you, Kadeem. I remember when you were stud at Arizona. But uh, with that out of the way, uh, at some point I'll try and look more into the rules and what differentiates it from NFL football. Besides my usual gripes of twelve men, uh, only three downs instead of four, and whatever the fuck a rouge is. But yeah, when you figure that out, please tell me. I will. 
can do. But to get into this Canada Canada Day weekend slate of games. Can I say something real quick? Yeah. About Canada Day. Did you see the mm-hmm. video of the Toronto Blue Jays? No. Canadian National Anthem. I know it's a different sport. I hope one day in our lives we treat Independence Day like the Canadians do on Canada Day. It, it made me feel patriotic, and I'm not even Canadian. No, they always seem to spend too much time in that water. <laughs> they, they actually care. They love their, their anthem. They, they all dress the same color. They all wore red at the Blue Jays game. Like, I loved it. I loved everything about Canada Day. So, anyways, go on. Yeah. For your Thursday game, the another big performance by Nathan Rourke and the BC offense as they took their show on the road and sunk the Red Blacks 34 to 31 in the nation's capital. The Red Blacks actually managed to find the end zone this week. Congratulations, fellas. And they actually forced Nathan Rourke to for his first two picks of the year. But in the end, they were too much. Nathan Rourke, the young, the young rising superstar, really, for BC, threw for 359 nine yards rushed for 87 and had three all-purpose TDs for this game and was helped along by Keon Hatcher at seven catches for 177 yards and he's got a feel for the Red Blacks they've looked much better this year but just haven't been able to pull off that win Jeremiah Masoli's look good though found the end zone this week too um in your Friday game in a candidate battle of the beatens at the hammer the Edmonton Elks used a second half defensive surge to down Hamilton 29 to 25 uh, there was a new starter at quarterback this week for Edmonton, TJ Ford, who really had a nice showing as a dual threat, uh, was good through the air, and really his legs were where they shone. But they, the offense was really the story. It really was the story of the Edmonton D defense slowly getting to Hamilton throughout the game. And in the second half, they went bonkers. They forced two picks off of Dane Evans and then recovered a fumble with 141 remaining to go up 29 to 25 and sink Hamilton to 0 4. Uh, it's a good win for Edmonton. We're looking to bounce back from again from a bad year last year. So, good first win. And Hamilton is 0 4, which is discouraging. But the rest of the East, I think the best team there is 1 2 in Toronto. So, they're still very much in it in the East. In your Saturday game, uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders used a 21-point third-quarter explosion to get their revenge on the Montreal Alouettes, 41-20. Cody Vajardo had a nice bounce-back game, and Jamal Morrow added 104 on the ground with a TD. But honestly, this game was about the Rough Riders' defense showing Montreal who they were after last week, forcing two picks, two fumbles, and sacking Montreal six times in this game. They were a dominant force out there. Uh, Of note for Montreal with special teams ace Chandler Worthy who housed a, a kickoff return for the second week in a row and then That's in dope. your I know and then in your final Monday primetime game for 4th of July I guess <laughs> uh the Winnipeg Blue Bombers outlast the Toronto Argonauts 23 to 22 after a late missed extra point doomed Toronto from a second half comeback that was bad it was so bad he was so bad he was good the rest of the game though it's kind of surprising uh, the Blue Bombers actually ran out to a 17-0 lead in this game off of two McLeod Lethal Bombs. I struggle with that name, and I, I apologize, uh, Mr. Bethel Thompson. But McLeod Bethel Thompson picks, including a house call by Winston Rose in the first quarter. But they give credit to the double blue. Uh, McLeod Bethel Thompson looked a lot better going forward from that point. Uh, Andrew Harris and Brandon Banks had a some vintage performances after their big signings in the offseason. 
But in the end, they just couldn't quite get back with that missed extra point. Zach Kolaris had another nice game, cleaning 80% of his passes. New receiver Dal- and ex-chief Dalton Schoen uh, led the way with 73 yards through the air. Uh, but again, the Blue Bombers' D was the story of the game. They sacked the Argos three times and forced three turnovers to help seal the win. Um, for your game of the week next week, this one, unlike the other ones where I've him and I've hawed and I haven't known what to do, this next one is easy. Winnipeg at BC. Let's go. BC has looked for fucking real this year. The least amount of points they've scored this year is 34 points against the Red Blacks. And they are finally going to show the league who they are when they face the two-time defending champs, Winnipeg Blue Bombers in BC. That game is at 7 o'clock on ESPN News on Saturday, July 9th. So I would set some time to decide to watch that one. I think BC's for real. I think Nathan Rourke's a star in the making. So is James Butler. And I think it's going to be a fun as hell game. Hell yeah. Love it. And that's Neil CFL Corner. So, Neil, um, I forgot to have us pause for the O Canada. Mm-hmm. We'll do it next week. I have found an edition of O Canada that is from the government website. We'll bring it next week. Thank We're in the moment, Canadian and I government. totally forgot about it. I but, tried to pause a little bit. Oh, we can. I could slide in, I guess. Hmm, we'll see. Anyway um anything else neil before we put a bow on it again not a lot in the nfl we're three weeks away from training camp we will be bringing you our nfl division preview podcasts um in the start of well middle of august and we'll lead right up until the first game of the year between the bills and rams uh so some receivers have not been signed julio obj and ty hill come to mind that's about it and Deshaun Watson, yeah. that's still happening. Great it's time of year. still happening. It's uh, a dead period of the NFL. Yeah. So the plan is to still bring you Neil CFL Corner, bring you the latest news in the NFL. But, um, yeah, USFL is over, Neil. I thought that was a very successful first year, like we mentioned earlier, and I'm glad we were able to bring it to you. We hope you enjoyed listening to our takes on the inaugural USFL season. And I say, quote, inaugural, quote. <laughs> But anyway, Neil, anything you want to add before we put a bow on it? No, I just hope everyone had a good uh, holiday weekend and enjoy your last month without football. Literally, yeah, because preseason football. Especially like me and watching the CFL, in which case there's no escape. There's no I mean, technically, you, you know, next year when the XFL starts, it'll be a whole calendar year of football. That might be too much football. I don't know. This no. country loves football. God, it does. Anyway, we hope you have Fuck a great baseball, day. Baseball, football is America's pastime now. Yeah, it, it is. Um, we hope you had a great holiday weekend and hope it is safe. You enjoyed some family time and some R&R. Um, again, we'll be back next week for another edition of Neil CFL Corner and the latest NFL news. Till then, have a great day. Bye, everybody.